Hello, and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb, a podcast that creates a spark of positive energy in your home to design, architecture, yoga, meditation, and travel. I've created this podcast as a place to come for design inspiration and especially to learn about Vastu Shastra with a modern approach. I'm your host, Katerina Burinova, and welcome to From the Honeycomb. Well, welcome. I am so excited for today's episode because I have my friend Alexis on and she blew me away with describing how to prepare for a home birth, how she guides women through the birthing journey as a certified doula. And so if you are pregnant or maybe in the early stages of planning to become pregnant, I think you will really enjoy this episode or maybe you're just curious about what a doula does. So let's dive in. Please welcome certified yoga instructor and labor and postpartum doula, Alexis Wolford. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. So excited. I listen to most of your episodes. Oh, really? And I love, like, yeah, I love the content that you put out. I mean, I'm so obsessed with, like, my home space. So I'm just, I love, like, all of the information that you give. So this is really exciting. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm super excited to have you on. And so as you know, then we begin every episode sharing something we are grateful for. And so what are you grateful for in this moment? I feel like, uh, I mean, I guess I don't know when this is going to air, but right now it's like middle of June and like the weather is just beautiful. And I've been feeling so energized just by life and the things that I'm doing And also just like the sunshine. I feel like all of that summer energy has really started to come into my life. Um, And it's just my favorite time of year. And it feels a little like transitional and like a little fast paced, especially compared to how we've been living our lives the last couple of years. But I'm just so grateful for coming kind of back into this and all of the moving things that are happening right now. I love that. Yeah, it definitely does feel like because we both live in Southern California, like it was kind of a mild winter, there wasn't really any rain. And then now it's just like, gorgeous weather back to back. And it's like, like, I thought today would be cooler. And it's beautiful. Like we're going to the beach after this, like, it's just so nice. So I can definitely resonate with that. For me, I was thinking about it, um, what to share that I'm grateful for. And last night we had my sister over and her boyfriend over for dinner. And I was thinking about a podcast I had recently listened to, the Yoga Girl podcast, where she was talking about manifestation and how think about something that in your life you have now that you previously wanted to like manifest and wanted. And years ago when I was in college, I was so excited to host dinner parties like they do in the movies and like have people over and have like the nice tablecloth and like candles and like have like entrees and appetizers and dessert and like wine. And I'm finally like having those moments like we've had the week before we had my stepdad over we've had multiple like groups of family come now we've had just like yeah, other couples come and so like I'm living in that like dinner party, you know, hosting. I love hosting. So I'm like really enjoying kind of this manifestation that years ago in college, I would just see like in shows and and movies. And now like I'm actually living it. So I'm really grateful for that. That's such a good one. That's such an like overlooked part of life too. Is like you think about all of these things, especially when you were like a teenager and they were like the definition of like what was awesome about being an adult. And like, yeah, like dinner parties and drinking wine and laughing with your friends. Like it's so casual now, but it's also just like so fulfilling. It, it is. It yeah, really I is. Mean, and I, just I genuinely feel like, yeah, love I when just, I get this I've question really, really because for me, this was such a 
long buildup thing in my life. So before we dive into essentially, like, when the I episode, was I probably want to talk to you about six or seven what you years do. old, like when people um, would ask you me are what a birth I wanted doula, to do, and what I was the journey that brought you to, to help becoming with babies. I wanted to work with babies. I wanted to, I, once I found out what a gynecologist or an OBGYN was, I started telling people that's what I wanted to do. And then they would look at this little kid and this, like, and you know, they would chuckle and be like, you know, you don't even know what they do. Or like, do you know what they do? You don't want to do that because everybody has this idea of like, you know, just like being in somebody's vagina all day and like, and I feel like back in the nineties too, that had such a more like negative connotation. There was like this weird stigma about it. But as I got older, you know, a little bit more of the holistic kind of perspective kind of was opened up to me. I, you know, I had a lot of amazing experiences that really opened my worldview and I moved. I'm originally from Ohio. So, you know, that also really influences the way that people kind of talk about birth and like what they want out of their birth experience. And through this whole evolution, I ended up becoming a yoga teacher. And when I was, you know, on that journey, that kind of reconnected me with, or at least this idea of like, I really loved health and fitness. I think that that's kind of what started. Um, and then that went into more like of healthy foods. And then that kind of snowballed into, I'm also certified in Reiki. And once I got to that place, where I was going through my Reiki certification, that's kind of when I had more of an aha moment with like, I think this is what I want to do. Because at least with the Reiki practitioner that did my certification, the level one that we went through was all about personal practice. It was, you learn how to connect with this energy and you it's all about self-healing, that you learn the hand positions over yourself. You learn how to kind of read your own energy centers or your chakras like all the way up. And when I was really diving into that work and doing Reiki for sometimes an hour every single day, especially because during COVID, I mean, I had nothing better to do. So I was like, I'm going to really do this, you know, like I want to, I want to, I want to get connected with this. And I had a moment in one of my sessions with myself where I was just getting very emotional and it was always around like my root or my sacral chakra. And so I was journaling afterwards and just kind of thinking about like my childhood and like some of those moments, like I felt like it had something to do with my early childhood, but I didn't exactly know. So I was trying to remember the things about that age of my life, like literally writing down anything that I could remember. And one of the things was my parents telling me that I didn't really want to help birth babies. And then I like, I wrote that down and I looked at it for a second and I was like, that's crazy. Like for a minute, I feel like I I actually, you know, I think that some of that kind of got to me, you know, like, do I really want to do that? As I got older, I started to question, like, do I really want to do that? Do I really want to go to medical school? Do I really want to do all of these different things? And something about writing that down just was like, I think maybe I closed the, closed the door on that idea too easily because of things that other people had told me. And next thing I know, I'm like on my computer Googling, like, how can I get involved in that now? Like I already have a degree in communications and I already didn't go to medical school. And it's not like I couldn't totally have a second act and do that. But as I mentioned, like at this point in my life, I was already very holistically centered. I didn't know if medical school was really what was going to light me up. And so I was looking at maybe I could be a registered nurse and then I could be, you know, a nurse in labor and delivery or 
can I even just like volunteer and nick you because they always need people that can like hold babies and different things like that. And that's kind of when I came across this idea of being a doula. And honestly, before starting to really get into this research, I had heard the word doula, but I don't know if I ever really understood what it was. And I also looked at, you know, being a midwife. And then I started, I kind of got hung up on these two. It was either I wanted to try to become a midwife or I wanted to become a doula. And I, I even emailed like midwives all in the Los Angeles area and like asking them about their journey to becoming a midwife. Cause a lot of them also were doulas or started as doulas. And I would ask them questions about like, what made you transition? Like, what is it that you really love? And for a lot of them, it kind of came down to like being a midwife is more about the baby and being a doula is more about the mom. And it's like, who do you really want to be servicing? And that's kind of where that distinction lies. At least that's what a few of them told me. So with that, I, yeah, I just, I signed up for a doula course. It was never, same with my yoga and my Reiki. When I signed up for my doula course, it was never necessarily about doing this professionally, but it was about a personal curiosity. I wanted to give that learning experience to myself. I knew it was something I was passionate about personally And even if I only ever like assisted my friends and family, like that was already enough for me. And I think that that is also just a very freeing mindset when I was going into it. And then once I got into the actual course, I was just hooked. I mean, immediately I was obsessed with the women that I was in the course with and the instructor. I did my certification with Mama Glow, which is run by Lathan. Thomas and she is just so amazing. I mean, she has such a presence and her lectures. It was like, I don't know. It was like going to church every Sunday. Like I was just, I felt so moved every time I was in the class and the things that I was learning were constantly blowing my mind. And all of the women, you know, a lot of them already had birth experiences themselves. And that's kind of what led them to this place and getting to hear their stories and like the healing that they're doing by learning this stuff. I mean, I was just truly obsessed and it was a lot of freaking work. So it was a good thing because like being back in school after you've like, you know, graduated college and stuff like that and like learning these like very technical things, it was super challenging and, but I loved every minute of it. And then once I did my certificate, my level one certification, which was the labor doula part of it. I went back for the level two, which was the postpartum just to kind of round everything out. And I, I've loved it. Yeah. I love hearing that you are so passionate about it. And it was, you started with just a curiosity for yourself. And then from there, it just evolved into something where you're like, I want this to be a part of my life, regardless of if I just help those nearest to me, or if I can be an act of service to more people. I think that's such a great foundation for you know, doing something that you love. So that's really cool to hear. And so I was wondering more about, for listeners who don't know exactly what a doula does, can you describe, for example, some of the services you provide or when someone would bring in a doula and why would they have one? Yeah. So honestly, anybody... What I love about the actually the term doula is it really doesn't even necessarily link to like birth and postpartum. It is genuinely like a support person. And so where you see that term kind of used most often is either in labor, in postpartum, someone women will get like 
loss or grieving, like, yeah, like lost doulas and like there's even death doulas for people that are like very close to dying. So we're support people that come in and kind of help not only the family, but also that person energetically through that transition. And it's just, it's honestly, I think the best way to think about it is just like an extra support person through like really tricky or transitional times of life. And I think kind of going into then what kind of services we provide, it has a lot to do with physical support, mental and emotional support, educational support also in whatever field you're working in. And then there is an element of advocacy put in there, especially with more of the labor doula portion of it, because for anybody that has never been in labor, when you are in labor, it is very hard to, you know, advocate for yourself effectively and communicate effectively. So those are kind of the main categories of support that you'll see from somebody that's a doula. And then when you get into each one of those categories, you break it down even further into then what does that look like? And for each individual that's hiring a doula, what each one of those categories looks like will be completely different. And so that's where we have to be trained to be very observant, very good at holding space for people and, you know, just getting to connect with them as an individual and learning like, okay, are they somebody that holds their heart on their sleeves or are they super reserved? Do they kind of turn inward when they get uncomfortable or will they snap if they feel like, you know, they're being attacked in some way? Like, and then physically, like, do, are they somebody that likes physical touch? Are they very like touchy with their partner or their family? Or, you know, are they a little bit more like not as connected physically, like with that type of touch? And so it's, it's hard to identify exactly like what I do for one client versus another, but those are the, those are the categories that I kind of break up the support that I offer them in. And I kind of tailor all of that to one person as far as like, I guess more what I bring into being a doula. That's where a lot of like my yoga and Reiki training. And I also do like sound baths and sound therapy with my clients. So I try to integrate a lot of that into it as well, because it's other things that I'm really passionate about. And it very naturally goes kind of hand in hand, at least when it's the right client. And I think that that kind of actually segues into like, when somebody should hire a doula and how to hire a doula that's right for you. It's honestly, whenever it feels right for you, whenever you're starting to think about it, for some women, they get pregnant and they're like, I need to hire my doula yesterday. Like I want as much time with them as possible. I want to like be prepping through the entire pregnancy process. And for other women, you know, I get, I've gotten contracted as a doula at like 36 weeks. And we had like two weeks really that we could rely on to, and like not even really, right? Like that baby could have technically come that very next day, but it was her first child. And, you know, she was still sitting kind of high. So we knew we had some time, but yeah, so I can get contracted like anywhere in the process, really. It just depends on the birthing person and what they want out of the experience. And I think that it's really important for me to reiterate, like anybody that's considering getting a doula, I really encourage you to, if you have the time, right, if you're not at 36 weeks and you're like, I could pop any day now, take the time to really try to find a doula that you 
feel like you immediately have a connection with, you know, you start talking to them and talking is just easy or, you know, ask them about their values when it comes to birth. Does it feel aligned with where your values are? Because those little things will make a really big difference in your relationship, in the service that you get, and in just the ease of them being able to step in and be so intimately connected in this very important moment in your life. I 1000% know and acknowledge that not every woman out there is a good client for myself, and I'm not the right doula for every woman out there. And just being honest and honoring that is so, so important about like when you're starting to go through that process of bringing a doula into this experience. No, that, that makes sense. Is starting, you know, early on and then getting to know your doula. And like, I like that you said, you know, do you share the same values? And then when, with your doula, if you do bring her on, if we were, if I were to bring you on, then do you start to put together like the birth plan? Is that something you're a part of? Yeah. So a lot of my packages specifically, we have, Anywhere from three to like six home visits. It really depends on how early I get involved and how deeply they want me involved in the experience. And a few of those are really educational. You know, we walk through what to expect. We walk through the different stages of labor. We talk about the different care options and the different like newborn procedures and what your rights are and like all of these different things. So they just feel really empowered with information. And then some somewhere around like the third or fourth visit is when we'll write the birth plan together. And it is, I mean, I have a questionnaire that has probably got a hundred questions on it. And we sit down the birthing person, maybe their partner, if the partner is involved, and I just run through the checklist and I take notes on what they say. And then from their answers, and I try to tell them just whatever first comes to mind, just like just stream of consciousness to me. It doesn't have to be exact. Tell me where you feel like your boundary is with certain things. And I will do my best to put that eloquently to where somebody is going to understand it. You know, some of the questions are more yes or no, pretty simple, but some of it's kind of hard to identify. So we kind of go through all of that and then I type it up for them and I keep it, you know, nice and concise, try to keep it to one page because let me just tell you, nurses, you know, if you're in a hospital, nurses that are servicing like six, seven birthing women or, you know, birthing people at one time are not going to read something that's a multiple page document. So we want to be nice to the point and then I'll print it out and I'll bring lots of copies and make sure that all the right people have it in the right setting. When I work with women that are doing a home birth, typically that's also more in conjunction with their midwife and the people that are going to be at the home. Fortunately, those women are a little bit more tapped into, okay, you're making this really personal choice to have a home birth. You probably also have a lot of opinions about different things that you do and don't want to happen. So they're more inclined to ask you, whereas at the hospital, you kind of have to tell them. So no, and the home birth, that's what I'm really interested in learning about is setting your home up for a home birth. And when do you start that process? Or is because personally, I've, I've thought about it. I'm, I'm leaning more towards hospital, but knowing actually you know heard of so many home births and it does seem like it's just such a more like peaceful natural calming situation than when you're in the hospital and so how do you prepare your clients for a home birth 
I mean, I love this question because they're the way that you kind of prepare to go into a home birth versus a hospital birth are very different. So one of the biggest things with a home birth that you kind of pointed out is like typically the energy is a lot calmer. It's more comfortable. I mean, because you have to think about the instances where you're in a hospital in your life other than birth. It's not usually great times. Like somebody's sick, somebody's broken a bone, somebody's having surgery, like all of these things that are just kind of like high stress situations. And hospitals are like running and functioning 24-7. Like even on like a calm day, there's like hundreds of people in hospitals. And so acknowledging kind of the energy difference that you're going to have in those two experiences from the get-go and then thinking about what you can do to feel like you're more in the driver's seat of both situations um, is really important. So with like, as far as how to prepare for like the things that you need, like if you're going to do a water birth at home, like the bathtub and like all of the instruments and like the heart monitors and stuff, most of the time your midwife and your birthing team is going to handle those types of things for you. And then the things that you need to be responsible for, they'll give you a little list of like, please make sure that all of these things are ready by like 36 weeks, you know, in case you go early, you don't want to be scrambling for things that you need. And then there's kind of the next step up, which is a little bit more personal. So all of the things that you like need, need for a home birth, your midwife is going to give you a list and that's really easy to just kind of go through, order everything that you need, make sure that you're good. All of the technical things will come on a list. Your midwife will give you, it's really easy to kind of run through those, order what you need ahead of time and just be squared away from like a very operational perspective. And then the next thing that I tell people to really just kind of knock out early so that you don't have to work, focus on it too much is like postpartum care stuff. Like you have a baby shower where people give you a crap ton of stuff for your newborn. You need to have that for yourself and you need to get, you know, the extra long pads and the little peri bottles and, you know, the nipple shields. If you, so many different things that kind of go into that postpartum time. And, you know, there are amazing resources online that tell women, like, I mean, moms are just the most communal and online people about like, this product was amazing. Every mom needs this, or this product wasn't worth the money. Like it's super easy to kind of get together a little list for yourself of the things that you also need for yourself and like postpartum. So making sure that you're stocked up on those again, really early, honestly, I think at the beginning of your third trimester, just like bust it out. And then you just have this time to kind of focus on more of the things that are going to nurture you through the labor experience, which Honestly, treating your labor like an experience, like something that you're going to fully go through, you're going to fully experience is the best kind of mentality you can have towards it. Because a lot of people think about like birth and then they think about like, you know, stretching and all of the fear and the things that come up for them. But like the labor as a whole, which can sometimes be days long, is really more what you want to try to focus your thoughts on and how you're going to handle that and nurture yourself through that. So how I like to coach my clients through preparing for this part of pregnancy into motherhood is the lens of like our five senses. You know, we have sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. 
And these are all very primal things. The center of our brain that kind of controls and absorbs these different types of sensory things are much more primal than like where our consciousness is technically held and like where we have language and things like that. Those are all a lot more like recently developed parts of evolution. So when you think about, you know, every mammal on the planet gives birth and not always exactly the same way, but in a very similar fashion. And we see all of these amazing mammals giving birth to these massive babies and they're like not even like in pain. They're like, you know, they're just they're just going through the motions and like that's what we're trying to tap into because the fear I truly believe comes from more of our consciousness, the conditioning that we've had around birth. The you know, the visuals on TV that show us the woman screaming and the whole thing being incredibly dramatic and so much stigma around it. So when we talk about the five senses, now not every sense to each person is really provoking or do you feel really connected to. You know, some people are really visual people. They're artists. They love to draw or paint or they love to look at beautiful scenery and like that's what really calms them just like it just is the most grounding thing for them and then other people you know their love language is touch and just being cuddled by their partner is all they ever need when they're going through something difficult so I'll often give some journaling prompts if it's not obvious to somebody which senses might be you know more of their strong kind of areas or what influences them more and through doing some of these prompts and some of our exercises together, we can usually work out two to three of them that are more important than like the other two to three of them. You know, it's, I mean, for every person it's different, but we kind of con concentrate our efforts and then we look at ways to, I feel like the word manipulate has more of a negative connotation, but you know, kind of manipulate the environment of the home to be really pleasing in these areas for these people or make sure that we have a lot of tools available to persuade our mind in different ways based on these senses that are more connected to each client. So some examples of that for each of those categories would be like for touch, one of the best things is like having your partner around or having your mom around for people that have a good relationship with their mom or for women that are on their second, you know, or third child, having your other kids around like, and these people just being able to like, give you a hug or say something silly or like touch foreheads with you. Like that's what's really nurturing for these people. And me knowing that as the doula offering me also being able to offer those things for them and having to break down my own, you know, weird touch things that I might've grown up with to like really be of service to this woman. Didn't Hillary Duff have a home birth and her daughter watched, I think. And she's only like four or five. I remember reading that. I'm like, that never would have, if there was you know, criticism, of course, but like if she must have maybe the touch where she wants her daughter to be there to witness it. And it seemed like she had a really beautiful moment with her whole family. Yeah, that has really started to pick up steam here in the last like five years of like siblings being really involved and parents being very like truthful about what's happening about anatomy, like not making up little stories for children when it comes to what pregnancy and birth is and just letting it be because it's so natural that it's kind of, it's always been kind of funny to me how we like don't feel that children 
like deserve to know or should know, or in some way it's like dirty or weird for their innocence when it's every single human is born one way or another with their birthing, you know, parent. And it's really, really beautiful. And yeah, I've, I've never really understood that. So I think that this new wave of people like really embracing their children in their birthing experience is just, I'm, I get really excited for the relationship that the, this next generation of people are going to have with the idea of birth, with not being afraid of it. And just so many other things that I think a lot of us born pre 2000 might have some mental hurdles to overcome. No, for sure. The fear I, and going back to what you had mentioned earlier about the comparison of when you are giving like the fear of birth and just how animals, mammals do it. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I mean, I think it was like eight or nine years ago now, I was in St. Lucia Island in the Caribbean and we were driving on the side of the road, kind of in like a populated area. And there was a horse giving birth on the side of the road. And we like stopped to watch because I've never seen it. And like some of the locals were like, oh, you know, it's just happening. And then some of like, I think more Western folks were kind of gathering around like, we need to call a veterinarian. Oh my gosh, like is everything, do you think she's going to be okay? And they're like, well, there's one veterinarian on the island and he's closed because it's Sunday. So I think the horse is going to have to just do it herself. And we drove back on that road on the way home. And there was the baby horse like three hours later, kind of walking and it was fine. Like there was just, there was that human fear of, oh my gosh, we have to have a doctor present. That's not always the case. Like, you know, you can do it yourself, but go ahead. No, I, I literally, I love that story. And I think it was in one of the texts that I was reading for my certification Like there was this doctor who was abroad. I think he was in Europe as um, a doctor during World War II. And he was in this really rural area of somewhere in like Central Europe. I mean, he was like, I was the only doctor anywhere near here. And I had to just go out into this field one day and just like have a minute to myself. And these are all from his like hand scribbled notes and everything like out of his journal. And he reports like seeing this like, local woman kind of running out into this field and there's like some trees and stuff around and she's pregnant and he's kind of staring at her like kind of confused she's kind of hanging on this tree and she's just kind of like all by herself and she's like so pregnant like he was concerned and he walks up to kind of try to interact with her but they don't speak the same language so he was kind of struggling and then he realizes that she's in labor And, you know, he starts freaking out. He's, like, trying to get her to come, like, the mile or whatever back to their little setup where he can, like, have some, you know, gauze and, like, different things that he just thought that he had to have for this thing to, like, progress and for her to be okay. And she, like, kept pulling on her and she starts yelling at him. She's, like, fully, like, does not want to go with him. He doesn't know what she's saying, obviously, but it's, like, leave me alone energy, like, majorly. So... He backs up, you know, he doesn't like push his luck or whatever. And, you know, he just kind of observes from afar after that, you know, being a doctor, I think he would have had a hard time leaving. And this woman just proceeded to give birth all by herself, hanging on this tree, like arms around the tree and like her body is kind of nice and like relaxed and limp, like her lower half. And he reports that she was like smiling and giggling and like this whole thing just by herself out in the middle of nowhere and 
how that forever changed the way that he thought about childbirth because it was that's never how he had experienced it in the states before and i just find like that uh, i don't know it just it's things like that it's stories like that of people that have had really beautiful like ecstatic births or orgasmic births or all of these other things that makes me really reflect on why that was never how I thought my birth would be. And that's what I really want my clients to wonder for themselves. Like, why have I not thought that this is possible for myself? And then what do I need to actively do to try to upgrade that pattern of thinking? I didn't mean to cut you off. We were going through the senses too. I think we were, that's what we cut off on the, on the touches. Yeah, no problem. I think I talked about physical touch. I mean, that one's kind of easy. You know, if a woman is really cuddly or a birthing person is really cuddly, you know, giving them a cuddle or having other people around that are like really their like core people to give them that, that's kind of an easy one to prep for. And then you have things like, like some people are very scent oriented and scent is a great one anyway, because it's very like primal there things with like essential oils and like sense memories, like scent is such a core player in a lot of that type of cognition. So, you know, figuring out what scents are really calming to you, thinking about what scents you loved as a child even. And I'll try to sometimes break up scents that we'll have on hand. So you have some that are more comforting, but in a relaxing way, like in a very tranquil kind of way. And then you have some that are a little bit more energizing because you never really know what kind of energy you're going to need to bring in. So having a couple options on hand is important. So that was scent. And then we have, um, so taste, taste is a little bit of a tricky one, mostly because it's very complicated. You can't just eat whatever you want through labor, but you can't eat nothing either. Like the way that the hospital kind of does it where they don't really want you to eat anything in case you have to go into surgery. Not a fan of that mentality because you're essentially, sometimes you're in labor, like I said, for like days. Like on average, I think labor is at least 14 hours is like an average. So like you could never like walk for 14 hours straight and not have any food or anything to give you energy. That that would be insane. So the idea of like laboring for 14 hours and not eating anything is insane. And it's not setting you up for success towards the end. I feel like you'd get hangry. Oh, you do. For, you get hangry and then you just get like physically and mentally exhausted. Like you have literally depleted everything there is in your stores. And that's when you see women just kind of give up on their plan or what they wanted for the experience because they're so depleted and like you don't want to get there either. But you can't just like eat a sandwich <laughs> and expect to either not A, throw it up, B, have diarrhea, or C, have really, really bad cramps because a baby and now the poop that you've produced are trying to come out of the bottom of you at the same time. Like it's just not a good idea to be eating like really, like, yeah, really big meals, not ideal. I would say when you first go into labor, if you're a first time parent, this is your first birthing experience, and you go into labor, I would say that that is your key to eat one more like good meal, because after that, you're going to just want 
effective and energy providing snacks like fruit is a great one because it's usually very, very soft once you've chewed it and you get kind of the sugar energy and like a little bit of carb kind of element to it. It's also not super hard. Like most fruits aren't hard to digest. I wouldn't recommend having anything like kale because that's pretty hard to actually like break down and you want your energy to go to the other thing that you're currently doing and not really to digesting. Like applesauce pouches are fantastic because it's also already like half liquid. It's very, very simple. Or popsicles is a great one because it turns into liquid and then you just pee instead and that's amazing. So things like that are great. You want to have as many snacks on hand as you would want for like three days because I'm not saying your labor is going to be three days long, but even on day one of postpartum, when you have your new snuggly baby and your bottom hurts and you don't want to move, like you just want someone to bring you a snack in bed and for it to be easy. And a lot of women get kind of afraid of like that first poop after birth. That'll also help make that a lot easier if you're not eating like a McDonald's cheeseburger or something. I'm not saying don't do that if that's what you want to do. I'm just saying you're never going to be upset for having more of the snacks on hand rather than like running out mid labor. Like that women get scared about like pooping or that you never knew that you shouldn't eat like big things. Yeah, no, I've heard about the pooping. Does that happen on the table or does that happen like I heard it happens on like not on the table, but when you're giving birth, I mean, like, is that happened? I mean, sometimes like not to everybody, honestly, but you have to think like if you had to poop a little bit and then your baby starts coming out, it kind of naturally just like pushes things out like the head and like the, it's a very small amount of space. So like, yeah, it happens. Yeah, but the food is really fast. I, I didn't think about that. Like that's like, you know, you read about what you should have on hand with you and it's like, yeah, the underwear, there's like certain types I've heard that you should put on or something after to hold stuff. Yeah, like circulation and like, oh, <clears throat> I was gonna, I was thinking for your legs. But yeah, there's like, like kind of compression short-ish things. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that people kind of put on after labor and do like binding. And I personally recommend just like as light as possible. But a lot of cultures have a lot of different traditions also that play into like kind of how women treat the body after so that's another thing we can talk about it's really really interesting <laughs> no, that, that's the, I know that's like a whole nother episode I would dive totally deep into different cultures because that is very interesting to me but um but yeah so is there anything cause like we kind of talked more a little bit about the home birth than we did about hospital births is there anything else as far as what you should have around you in your home when you are giving birth of course it depends whatever senses you kind of gravitate towards but there is water births. Is there any other sort of kind of, I mean, at home, is it, do they just have the child in their bed? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I love about a home birth, especially if you have a home birth where your midwife can provide like a bathtub or like, you know, the little blow up kind of things, or if you already have a bathtub, is that like a lot of women will have that. And that doesn't even necessarily mean that's where they give birth. Like, the fluidity of a home birth is what I love because for a lot of women, laboring in water is amazing. The suspension of gravity as well as the slight pressure on the skin 
that the water, you know, water pushing, which is kind of pushing on your skin, it actually releases more oxytocin naturally. It's kind of like getting a hug, you know, like they say getting hugs is very therapeutic and it can actually reduce stress. That's one of the reasons why. So that helps labor progress more quickly. So that's really amazing. But then they find it hard to push in water because, you know, like depending on the amount of water and like how you have to like situate yourself, if you're a smaller person and you, you know, it's like all the way up to your shoulders or like you're, you know, a taller woman and you're like, I don't have room for my freaking legs and all of this, you know, so many variables that just kind of make it a little bit less comfortable. So I've known a lot of women to labor in the pool and then get on their bed to kind of push or get on even like the floor because being on their hands and knees is what's the most comfortable. And with a home birth, like we're ready for anything, you know, like you will want to make sure that you have like all of your towels washed, you know, just in case. And some midwives bring a lot and some midwives like bring some and you use your own and they have like little waterproof pads. So if you you know, crawl out of the tub straight onto your carpet. They've got like a little like area that's waterproof and you can just kind of go for it. <clears throat> so like a home birth doesn't necessarily mean a birth in any one space. It just more means that you're in your home and you have the flexibility to use all of the areas of your home or, you know, whatever kind of calls to you. This is something I swear I could talk for four days about and only get through a fraction of what I want to say. I just, I'm so passionate about it. What I really want to give to people that are listening to this is that, A, I hope that you've learned something you didn't know before. And I hope that that one thing that you've now learned has helped you realize that this is an entire field of incredible facts to know and of different opinions and perspectives and experiences and your birth experience can truly be beautiful and magical and everything that you want it to be and what you want it to be versus what another woman wants it to be can be completely different and you're both empowered to have what the the experience that you want out of it and I think that doulas are such an amazing facilitator of creating that unique and personalized experience so yeah, just I, I challenge you to to challenge your own perspectives about birth also. Cause I think a lot of women like our age, you know, we're starting to get to that point of like having children and all of my friends just want me to be their surrogate because I'm the only one out of all of us that isn't terrified. <laughs> and you know, I I mean I love it. I would absolutely do that for them because I love them and I do think I'm gonna love being pregnant. But, you know, it doesn't have to be a scary thing. And if there's like one thing that anybody that talks to me gets from, you know, what I have to say and what I want to do is that it doesn't have to be the way that it's always portrayed. No, that is so true. So true. Well, Alexis, thank you so much for coming on from the honeycomb. I really enjoyed this conversation and may have to have you back because I love to hear about how women give birth in different cultures. That just fascinates me so much. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been such an honor to talk about this. And where can followers or where can listeners find you? One of the easiest ways to connect with me is probably on Instagram. My Instagram handle, I've 
I have been working on getting my business one up and running for a hot minute now, but my personal one also works and I respond to a lot of questions and messages and stuff on there. So it's just Alexis underscore Wolford. And then outside of that, if you're more like really interested in doula services, you're in the LA area, my website, um, daydoula.com is also a great place to connect with me. And it's day, D-A-E, doula.com. So I'll provide a link in the show notes for everyone too, as well. So you can easily access it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Didn't I tell you? You are going to learn a lot on today's episode with Alexis. I am so happy to have had Alexis on. This was such an amazing episode. Again, learned so much, and it really opened up the world of what does a doula do and kind of the journey to birthing and just what an amazing process it is. So thank you again, Alexis, for coming on. And if you like this episode, please give it a heart or thumbs up and click the follow button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.